everyone, and thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. And this week's show, we have a guest by the name of Ellen Tad. So I want to give you a little background history uh, in regards to how this connection was made. So some of you know through our films that we are good friends with the nuclear physicist or former nuclear physicist, uh, Tom Campbell. And Tom had once shared a story with us back in his early days when he was first practicing uh, going out of body and healing that he was working with one of his neighbors and her name was Sylvia. It was a, she was a young girl at the time and she was involved in a pretty bad car wreck and it was his neighbor. So we do have this story actually documented. I don't want to give too much away because it's another project that we have in the works. But anyway, Sylvia had reached out to us and she said, oh my gosh, I just stumbled upon your podcast. I love it. And I have to recommend somebody that I think should be on. And she recommended Ellen. So here we are today. We have Ellen Tad as our guest, and I'd like to tell you a little bit more about her before we bring her on here. She is an internationally known clairvoyant counselor, educator, and author who has been teaching and counseling for more than 40 years. She's widely respected for the integrity of her work, the accuracy of her perceptions and guidance, and the clarity and usefulness of her teaching. Shortly after completing her freshman year in college, Ellen had a remarkable experience in which she was able to contact her deceased mother. Her mother's presence and message healed Ellen's childhood trauma of denying her clairvoyant and clairaudient gifts and transformed her view of the world. Very soon after this awakening, she began to have contact with guides and teachers from spiritual realms who provided her with an extraordinary education. Ellen is the author of three books, The Infinite View, soon to be released on March 28th of 2017, and actually... That's already coming on, hasn't it? I'm looking at my calendar. We're almost there. Yeah, a couple days ago. Um, So so it's out. Yay. Uh, The other two books are The Wisdom of the Chakras and Death and Letting Go, which appeared on the Boston Globe bestseller list. So welcome, Ellen. Thank you so much. I'm very happy to be talking to you today. Yes, same here. I'm very excited about this. Um, For our listeners, you might hear me thumbing through the pages of the book because I've taken so many different notes. Um, And as I said to her before we started recording this, I kind of feel like every chapter could be a podcast interview because there's so much to talk about in each chapter that you've written here. So um, I remember one of, there were so many one-liners in your book that just struck me. And I'd like to begin with you telling our listeners about the story of the death of your mom, where she said, you had said she gave you birth and then a rebirth. Yes. Yeah. So can you bring our listeners through kind of where this, where this all started and how your mom kind of rebirthed you into this field of consciousness and studying and meeting your guides? I'd be happy to. So when I was a young child, I had experiences, you know, some out-of-body experiences. I would see faces in the dark or auras or energy around people. I was raised by my father, who was a theoretical physicist, and he thought I had a vivid imagination. I remember once telling him that I could see molecules, and he took me to an electron microscope to show me what molecules look like. And I wasn't seeing molecules. So I started to get anxious because my mother uh, had been diagnosed with multiple sclerosis when I was very young. And I watched her uh, really fall apart physically and mentally. 
And because I was naturally sensitive and philosophical, I was always asking the question, why? Why is it that my mother's sick? Why is it that life is as it is? And so I, I was struggling for quite a while trying to understand myself and the meaning of life. I wasn't able to relax into it without a deeper meaning. And when I was 19, uh, my mother had been dead for two years at that point. I was a freshman in college, and I was still searching. And I went to visit my oldest brother, who lived in New York City at the time. And when he introduced me to his girlfriend at, um, at that time, uh, she said, hi, is there anyone who's dead you'd like to speak with? And I was, of course, startled by that greeting. And I told her I didn't know if I believed in life after death, but if I could speak with my mother, I would want to. So that evening, we went to her one-room apartment in, in the village, and she started to go into trance. And I, I saw her cats literally jump off the walls and run into the bathroom. So there was clearly something going on that was genuine. And then... Um, the medium, Catherine, needed to lie down, and I could see my mother's face superimposed over hers. And it was, it was so clear that I knew that this was real. And I later asked my brother how much he had told Catherine about our childhood and our mother, and they were just uh, starting to date, so she really didn't know anything. And my mother spoke to me. I had to bend over um, very closely to listen. And my mother said, um, do not mourn for me. I chose what I endured to learn compassion for those who suffer. And she said, if you look deep enough, you will see there are always reasons and there is justice. And this was an amazing statement coming from a woman who had suffered and, you know, many things happened for me in that moment. Uh, other things she said were personal. And um, I, I couldn't sleep that night because I was aware that there must be spirits and entities all around me. And at first I was anxious that uh, everything I'd ever done was seen and known. Now, now it's a great comfort to realize everything is seen and known, and all I have to do is be myself. But when that occurred, it was really like a veil was lifted, and the uh, sensitivity that I'd had as a child, the clairvoyance and clairaudience, started to come back. And uh, very soon after that experience, I started to have visitations from beings in the spiritual world who became my teachers. And, you know, because I came from an academic background, I was not so interested in giving messages from dead relatives, even though that's what opened me up, was talking to my mother. But I really wanted to talk to the philosophers. I wanted to have contact with the teachers, the, the, the beings who really understood what life was about. 
Yeah, that story when you were saying that you could see your mother's face kind of super transposed over Catherine's, I was wondering if that was because it seems like in a lot of the stories that you tell, you're a very visual person, like you see many things. Um, Do you think it was because you had that ability and that was your experience as opposed to maybe other people that would just be watching Catherine and it just looks like she's laying there meditating on the floor. And then, you know, this person's kind of speaking through her. You know, that's a great question. No one has ever asked me that question before. Um, I probably don't know. Um, the, the, the feeling of expansion that came along with the event probably heightened my awareness at the time. And I am very visual, you know, I, I really have a visionary ability. So that's very likely that um, I was able to see my mother's etheric face superimposed over this physical face because I was opening to um, this clairvoyance. I think that's, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, I'd like you to talk about the other story. And I actually perked up when I was reading your book and it was when you were teaching a workshop in the Catskill mountains, cause I'm originally from Catskill and from the Catskill mountains. So I was like, Oh, I wonder where she was, where was she teaching? But was there was in, a, it was in, um, Phoenicia, New York. Oh yeah. Was it at the Omega Institute? No, it, it, it was many years ago. It was, it was an organization called pathway. Oh, yes. Okay. So, yeah. So I wanted you to tell the story about when you were teaching a workshop in the Catskill Mountains and there was kind of this revelation because in your book, you talk a lot about how your guides emphasize the importance of learning to connect both with the oneness and with our own inner spirit and how that there's, there's two, two things there that we're looking to connect with, with ourselves and with the oneness. And then you had this pretty cool experience when you were teaching this workshop in the Catskill Mountains. Yes, it, it really was a cool experience. <laughs> um, you know, I, I just want to take a moment to explain why my guides and teachers say it's so important to connect to the spirit without as well as the spirit within. I think that culturally, when people focus on the concept of God, then there's the idea of this, this uh, force that is outside of us. And when we recognize that this God force is inside of us as well and experience it and feel it, it it truly antidotes any feelings of inadequacy and that we are a part of this creative force of the universe, not um, just fortunate to uh, be able to benefit from it. So um, the experience in the Catskills was that I was teaching workshop and uh, there was a lunch break. And as I write in the infinite view, uh, it was a wonderful workshop. It was expansive. We were having profound meditations and, you know, I have, I have co-teaching guides who come and work with me when I teach. So it's not just the imparting of intellectual information. There's also an expansive force that comes in that helps people have their own experiences. So it was time for lunch and I was um, walking to the cafeteria, which was in another building. And I saw that there was light and a beautiful glow around every leaf and every rock. 
and every aspect of nature. And I, I heard a choral symphony and the symphony was singing, I am alive, I am alive, I am alive. And there was this realization of something that my guides had taught me that everything is alive, even what we consider inanimate objects, because everything, whether it's a chair or a person, is infused with this God force. And we know scientifically that everything is energy in motion and nothing is, is truly solid. So I remember as I was walking to the cafeteria that it was like, oh my goodness, I'm stepping on the rocks and they're conscious. And um, it was, it was uh, quite powerful and you know, I thought, oh, yes, the line between psychosis and enlightenment is a very fine one. <laughs> and um, and so I knew, of course, I was still Ellen teaching a workshop. So I walked to the cafeteria. I went into the ladies room and I looked at myself in the mirror and I had this tremendous light around me because my vision and my consciousness was so expanded and I saw that I was spirit more deeply than I had ever seen it before. And this meaning, I am a spark of the God force. And part of what I emphasize in my book is that, that then I just felt so much love because all of us have this spark of the God force within us. And it's so beautiful that when we actually experience it, it's very easy to love ourselves. Yes. And actually I had that one page bookmark. It was later on in your book where you had mentioned that, that it's a very fine line between psychosis and enlightenment. And I would just laughed out loud when I read that. I was like, yes, that's so true. But what I like what you said after that, and you kind of just said it now was how you were able to hold both realities at the same time. And I bet that there are a lot of our listeners out there who have had some similar experiences or some intuitive or psychic experiences where they are kind of tapping in. They're here in this reality, but there's another reality that they're tapping into. And isn't that the challenge, right? To feel like one, you're not crazy. <laughs> and two, to like still not be fearful and be curious and hold both realities at the same time. Yes, yes, exactly. You know, when my guides and teachers started to appear to me, they were very they were very strict and they said, "We want you to clean your house every day. We want you to exercise every day. We want you to pay your bills on time. We want you to raise your children well. We want you to be very well integrated into the human experience because we want you to talk about things that are um, not ordinarily talked about in a way that is integrated. And so really my passion has become integration. And I think of it as how to have, you know, um, my head in the clouds and my feet firmly planted on the ground. Yes. Uh, another huge takeaway that I got and uh, where I'd like to move with the interview is talking about activating the third eye. 
and how you teach that and teaching people the difference between the um, third chakra, the stomach chakra, and getting information and then moving up into the third eye to get more clarity and information about that. And I have to say, while reading the book, I was doing this exercise myself. And just like you said in the book, you can really feel a difference. So I'd like you to talk about this because this is pretty significant. And um, I found just a lot. I, I got a lot out of it. And I'm really excited to use this. I run meditation groups as well. And I want to use this in my Monday meditation group, actually, to s just get their feedback as well. So can we talk about activating the third eye? Yes. So, um, so I first learned about the power of the third eye when I was actually having an anxiety attack uh, in a grocery store. And um, a guy came to me and said, focus. I was, ha well, you know, I had a medical issue that I was afraid about, although it ended up not being a problem, but that triggered my anxiety, the symptoms. And, and so this guy gently said, focus, focus. And I learned that it's impossible to be anxious and focused at the same time. <laughs> and so that was the beginning of my exploration about the power of focus and concentration. And I had many experiences, but ultimately I became what I call a chakra watcher. And I decided to, for quite a period of time, use my clairvoyance to just observe people's chakras. And whether they were on television or walking down the street, I was just watching people's seven energy centers that go from the top of the head to the base of the spine. And I learned a lot. And one of the things I learned is that some people are focused in the gut as they move through their life and make decisions. Other people rely more heavily on their analytical mind and that there's a third option. And the third option is wisdom. Wisdom is very different than the intellect. Wisdom is the ability to see the far-reaching impact. And there are many educated people who aren't wise and a lot of wise people who aren't educated. It's a different faculty. And I learned that that faculty is linked to the third eye chakra in the middle of the forehead. And it's activated through focus and concentration alone. In sports, they talk about the zone. And athletes know that when they're in their zone, they perform their best. And yet it's not commonly understood that the zone is really the activation of the third eye chakra and that it can be reproduced if you understand the mechanism. So over time, I experimented with many of my clients because my guides taught me that perception informs feeling and feeling informs action. So how we perceive is primary. And so what I did is I had my clients and students compare perception from the gut, the solar plexus, with perception in the middle of the forehead. And now this is called the TAD technique. And the TAD technique uh, I've done with, with thousands of people. And it's so profound that I try to teach it to everyone. My guides say it's a pivot away. We just pivot our perception and everything changes. So the solar plexus is not a bad center, but what I've been taught is that the solar plexus is the center of emotion and feeling. It's not the center of perception. The third eye is the center of clarity and perception, wisdom and 
clairvoyance. And my guides say, when you open two eyes, open three, and that we should learn to live life looking through our forehead at the same time we're looking through our physical eyes. And it's like a posture. It's the difference between slouching and sitting up straight. And, you know, there's so many stories I have about how people go from confusion confusion to clarity or um, an inability to make a decision to, to knowing or um, anger to compassion. Because the third eye is the center of a spiritual view, a spiritual perspective. So we see through the lens of oneness and through spiritual principles. Yeah. And I, I like the story that you told, was it, was it the Boston Red Sox win? It was, it was one team. Yes. It was the Boston yeah. Red Sox. Yeah. Can you share that? Because I think that would help too, when you were saying how you were explaining, you were looking at people's chakras and what you were seeing and how many times you also gave examples where in your workshop, sometimes people are really struggling to be able to connect to that third eye, but it's because there's really a storage of, or an emotional block or something that's being held within the stomach chakra that is not allowing that. And that needs to release before that can happen. Yes. So the solar plexus chakra is, as I said, the center of emotion. And it's very much like a pond. You know, if the pond is calm, then we can see to the bottom. If the pond is rippling, we can't. And what happens, there, there are actually a variety of different patterns that occur when people live their life more focused in the solar plexus. But a very common one is to overabsorb the feelings of others and to be overly affected by the environment that we find ourselves in. And this tends to create emotional reaction when situations are not as we want them to be. So people react in anger or sadness. And because we also have, you know, the, the culture idea that it's, you know, it's not good to be angry. People will often repress a lot of their feelings in the solar plexus, and it gets all blocked up. My guides say there are two ways to protect ourselves from hurt. One is blocking that protects us from hurt, but also cuts us off from life. And the other is clarity. Clarity protects us from hurt, but doesn't cut us off from life. So when I um, um, walked outside um, from the building that I live in in Boston. It's just a couple blocks from the common parade route um, on Boylston Street. And the Red Sox had won the World Series for the first time in, what, 84 years, I think. And there was this enormous crowd. I don't know the actual number. I think it could have been you know, in the millions, but there was this enormous crowd I walked out into and people were crying and people were screaming and there was this emoting that was, was amazing to observe. And what I saw was people were so happy that the Red Sox won that there was this releasing of old emotional feelings, angers, frustrations in people's solar plexus chakras that 
it, it was as if people were getting a healing for their own personal lives because of this releasing and expressing. And it gave me a much deeper appreciation for the value of spectator sports, because when people live their life in the solar plexus, so much gets accumulated there that people need a release valve. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that becomes a non-destructive release valve where some other people get caught in destructive release valves. But if we move to the third eye, we don't even need a, need that release because from the third eye, literally the aura expands, doubles, triples in size because of the shift to positivity. And then people don't overly absorb their environment. And as my guides say, we become a positive influence rather than be overly affected. Great. Thanks for sharing that, because I really like that story. Um, And I want to go into talking about how you use light and color as a way to teach people in working with their consciousness. And um, again, great stories. I mean, the listeners, if you read this book, you're just going to love all the stories that Ellen has in here. Um, But I I love some of the stories and some of the examples that you gave in working with golden light as opposed to white light and working with groups where you would put a certain color in the center of the room and you would have them project their consciousness to that and get a sense of what they were feeling. So, you know, it seems like working with light and color has been really helpful in the classes that you teach and helping other people. So I would like you to discuss more about that. Well, I want people to know that our consciousness is not just something that is contained within our body. That, you know, the the phrase I use in the book is consciousness is like a rubber band. You can stretch it in all directions. So, um, you know, my, my daughter lives in Georgia and I can project my consciousness to Georgia and tell you how she's doing today because this idea of remote viewing is really recognizing that consciousness can be stretched and focused and knowledge can be gathered. So, um, so I first learned about the power of golden light when my daughter was a colicky baby and I was exhausted. And I do always say necessity is the mother of invention And I, you know, felt kind of desperate for some sleep. And so I started visualizing gold light. And my guides had taught me that gold light is the color of the enlightened individual. It contains all spiritual principles, the the principles such as love and peace and compassion, wisdom, creativity. So it feels good all over. And they make the distinction that white light is the color of oneness. So actually, when I visualize and send white light to someone, all I feel is oneness. I just feel that we're all one and we're all interconnected and it feels great. But I can't differentiate in the midst of white light. I can't read people where when I use gold light, I feel that oneness and interconnection, but I simultaneously feel our individual nature. So I'm able to read a situation. So when my daughter was crying, I started just visualizing gold light, like gold rain, you know, falling on her. And I could calm her through my visualization process. I was able to calm her and help her to to stop crying and to feel deeply comforted. And 
and I, I write how it still didn't give me enough time to get any rest because I was having to do the visualization. So I actually used a thought form of a shower head over her crib, which was doing the work for me. So I want to illustrate the, the power of consciousness to uh, manifest and that I use um, the exercises with color and light to demonstrate this ability to project consciousness that everyone can do it. We all do it every day to varying degrees, but not necessarily with a conscious awareness. So I, I put colors in the middle of the room. I have people project their consciousness and tell me what they experience. And another quote from my guide is that it's through comparison that we learn the language of spirit, which is subtlety. So I give my students lots of experiences to compare to help them understand how to read energy. Great. Thank you for that. And, you know, the listeners uh, maybe who aren't in touch with their own guides or want to be in touch with their guides, you know, uh, you do speak of your guides a lot throughout the book. Can you talk about how you fostered that relationship a little bit more and how you're tapping into, you know, these quotes that you give you, they give you or the information and the guidance and the wisdom. And, you know, it really feels like you're a channel uh, in many ways for the information that's coming through. But what I also got in your writing is just, I, I just felt a sense of like your guides were your best friends. Like you just seem so connected to them and they're with you. They hop in the car with you. And you know, that really shines through with your writing of this, this relationship that you fostered with them. Well, it feels to me like a multidimensional life and, and multidimensional relationships. So I really feel quite deeply that I'm spirit and I am human and I'm both, and we are all both. And the more that we acknowledge that on a day-to-day -day level, the more we all get to experience a multidimensional life. So when I teach my students how to access direct connection with their guides, there are a couple of fundamentals. One is to be a really good meditator. And I teach meditation not as a relaxation exercise, but as the skill of holding the brain chatter still so that we can listen deeply. And it's through this openness and this ability to listen deeply that they can get through to us because they want to work with us. They want to help us. They want to help us help others. The other really important point is in the chakra system, there's the crown chakra at the top of the head. And the crown chakra is the bridge from the material to the spiritual dimension. And so this is the access point in order to have direct connection with guides, opening the crown chakra is key. And the crown chakra is the center of trust, devotion, inspiration, and spontaneity. It's the golden halo in religious pictures. But what closes it is worry, discouragement, fear, and my guides say depression is a closed crown chakra. It's literally the aura becomes depressed. And they say depression essentially is discouragement. And we live in a world where when I walk around looking at people's chakras, I was just taking a train to New York the other day. And in my car on the way, I didn't see one open crown chakra. On the way back, I fortunately did see some open ground chakras. So I'm always looking. And um, 
And, and so the question is, why are people so discouraged? And I think that when we define happiness as getting what we want, then it's very easy to be discouraged because no one gets everything they want. But my guides define happiness as actualizing our spiritual nature, that what's most important is how we're manifesting ourselves, not what's happening to us, because we can't always control that. I'd like to talk a little bit more about that meditation piece and quieting the mind, because I've heard some teachers say that, well, you know, people are being discouraged to meditate because they think that they are not supposed to be thinking anything during meditation. And so many people will say, well, I can't meditate because I can't shut off the brain. And, you know, then I've heard, well, it's not so much about really trying to quiet the mind chatter, but to try to be the observer or watching the thoughts come in and then letting them go. I think it might have been Wayne Dyer or, or one of those teachers that sa- said um, it's about falling into the gap, the gap between thoughts. So can you just explain a little bit more about this stillness that you talk about that you are trying to help your students achieve? So meditation now is a really common word and it means different things to different people. But my guides are quite clear in their definition that it really is learning to um, hold the brain chatter with, with no thoughts. And I think the reason that, because when you can do it with no thoughts, that's when direct spiritual experience really, really happens. And what makes it, the reason I think it's hard for people to become really good meditators is because their crown chakras aren't open first. That if the crown chakras closed, then silencing brain chatter is really hard. If the crown chakra is wide open, it really isn't so hard. So it's, it's, this is why when I teach meditation, the absolute first step is opening the crown chakra through the use of inspiration. My favorite quote is by Emily Dickinson, where she said she knows a poem by two things. One, when she feels chills all over her body and can't get warm sitting next to a fire. And two, when she feels the top of her head come off. And that's the feeling, the feeling of the top of our head coming off. It's a feeling of open, airy, expansive feeling at the top of the head. And my, my observation and experience is that has to happen before someone can meditate well. Thank you. I think maybe a lot of our listeners are going to go and work on their crown chakras now. So inspiration, focusing on what really wows you, what really inspires you is the easy key to opening the crown. Great. Um, You also talked a little bit in your book on, in the chapter about finding wholeness, about balancing discipline and spontaneity. And I thought that was great. Can you go into that? Yes. Um, Another way of thinking about the relationship between discipline and spontaneity is uh, spirit and human. So um, when a baby's born, they're born with great big heads and undeveloped legs, and they're born with wide open crown chakras because they uh, have just been in the spiritual world. And they're totally spontaneous, and they have no discipline. And then as we all grow from childhood into adulthood, 
we have to learn lots of disciplines about taking care of ourselves and making money in the world and managing a life. And often when that happens, people lose the spontaneity, the joy that we've experienced when we were children. And my guides say that when you put they, they actually say, be as disciplined as you can be and as spontaneous as you can be. And when you put the two together, that's when you experience this wonderful sense of wholeness and a sense of really uh, having your life work well. Yeah, I, I like that. That that spoke to me and uh, spoke to me in many different ways that I kind of want to bring your book in and read it to some of my clients because I think that that would help them a lot too and trying to learn how to balance that. You know, sometimes it feels like people do get really inspired and, you know, they can be almost careless to the point of their spontaneity and then some that are just so rigid and so stuck and not having fun but have to be disciplined, have to play by the book, you know, making all of these lists and being more in the left brain. So, um, that, that was just a really great portion of your book as well. I love this book. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, one of the things that I, I guess two things for me personally, that was just great to read and a validation, uh, was when you were talking about your spirit guide, kind of hopping in the car with you and riding to your class and how you would, you basically were, would prepare for your class on that, on the ride there. And it took me a while, I'd say, up until like the past couple of years where I used to feel very anxious and planning for my workshops and my own classes. And then I heard another speaker talk about just tuning into, she calls it the Holy Spirit and would ask the Holy Spirit to come into her, to guide her and teach her or to tell her what it is that needed to be spoken or taught in that moment. And I was like, gosh, like she doesn't do all this planning. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to try that. And so when I do arrive to my meditation Monday classes that I teach lately, that's, you know, what I was able to tell a lot of my students that this really isn't pre-planned, but I didn't really realize what I was doing until I read your book. And it really was kind of like tapping into that higher consciousness system or a guide and saying, what would you like me to teach tonight? And it's been really fascinating over the past year and a half because I am getting these beautiful pictures and metaphors. And I don't quite know right until I get to that meditation class how I'm going to use it, but there really is something that's being worked through me. And sometimes it's like at the last minute and I'm feeling totally unprepared. I'm in my anxious mind, like, come on spirit, where is it? What's, what's the idea tonight? What's the metaphor? Um, but it was great to read that because I really have been experiencing that in the past two years or so of just kind of trusting and opening and allowing something higher than myself to come in, you know, removing that ego and like, well, I, I don't have to do this or do that, but really kind of going with the moment. So, so thank you for that. Cause that was really helpful for me to read and feel like, okay, maybe I'm not crazy. Maybe there is something that <laughs> is guiding me. I'm so, uh, yes, absolutely. I'm so glad that spoke to you. Um, you know, when I, when I started lecturing, I had the experience, um, kind of a half a day before I would start lecturing where I felt like I was being emptied. It was a feeling where I had no thoughts. I just felt emptied. And I remember when that first happened, I felt nervous that I wasn't going to be prepared. But now I've learned that when I have that feeling of being emptied, at the right moment, I'm going to be filled. And then um, things flow along in a wonderful way. 
And I learned the hard way. I I gave a a lecture to a very large crowd and I thought, oh, I better prepare for this. And I think it was the worst lecture I ever gave. And so I've learned that I know my material and I can tune into my crowd and my guides are with me and I um, do best if I don't prepare ahead of time. Yes. Yes. So that's been helpful. And it's also kind of very nice to, yes, <laughs> to come out of that pressure. <laughs> yeah. And, and the other thing that spoke to me, and I had an experience about two months ago, and I thought I was going a little crazy. Um, but I, I'm, I would say my two strengths are probably clairvoyant and clairaudient as well. And two months ago for our listeners, maybe if you know this band, it's called Florence and the Machine. And I was either watching Saturday Night Live or they were on a WMHT. And so the singer, I like the band, she was singing this song and out of nowhere, I see yellow light coming out of her mouth and yellow butterflies. And I'm watching this with somebody and I said, oh my God, there's yellow butterflies coming out of her mouth. Do you see that yellow light? And the person kind of looked over at me and <laughs> looked back at the TV and I was like, oh, maybe I shouldn't say those things out loud, but I, I was like in shock for like hours after that. I'm like, what the heck did I just see? Was I, you know, again, was that an hallucination? Did I just make that up? And then you have this section in your book where you're talking about light and about this light coming out of this person's mouth. And I was like, oh my God, maybe other people can see light like that. I had never experienced that before. I've seen, you know, auras and colors and, you know, many, many different things, but to be watching TV and I didn't feel like I was in like a meditative state or anything like that, but I could clearly see these yellow butterflies coming out of her mouth. I didn't know what to do with that. So of course that means that you were very focused in your third eye at the time. And, uh, there was this period I write about where my guides wanted me to understand that there's an energy exchange that happens when people communicate And that someone can say, I love you, and the color is greenish brown with anxiety. Or someone can say, I love you, and it's red with passion. Or someone can say, I love you, and it's pink with tenderness. That the words themselves don't communicate as much as the energy beneath the words. And so when you're having a clairvoyant experience, some vision or color coming out of someone's mouth, what you're really seeing is the vibrational energy of the message that's beneath the words. So cool. (laughs) It is. And this is, this is exactly what I want to encourage, which is a multi-dimensional life makes life so much more interesting. You can't be duped because you can read people's energy. You can see the vibration of what it is that they're saying. And it's so important for people to become empowered. And one of the ways that I'd like to empower people is to help people expand their perception skills. Yes. Well, this, this book was wonderful. I know that we're starting to run out of time here. Um, but again, the other books, if you guys are interested in reading what else Ellen has written about the wisdom of the chakras and death and letting go. And before we wrap up, Ellen, what would you say is the biggest takeaway in writing this book, the intimate, the infinite view, if you want our, you know, the people who are reading it, I got so many different things out of it, but overall, you know, what's the biggest take home for people? and the reason why they should pick this book up and decide to read it and go through it? Well, 
I really want to encourage curiosity. I want to encourage people asking deep and meaningful questions and that, that who are we and what is life about? And, uh, life is more than we've been taught it is, and we are more than we have been taught we are. And so with this expansion of understanding comes renewed optimism in the midst of challenging times. Wonderful. And, you know, you also teach classes and workshops. So can you let our listeners know where they can find you and if you have anything coming up in 2017? Well, my website is simply ellentadd.com, and so uh, information's there. Um, I always teach um, what I call a beginning course and an ongoing course, and these are the lessons from my guides. The beginning course is a set series. I teach it in Boston. It goes from September to May. It meets once a month. Um, and then the ongoing series is for people who have done the beginning series. Um, so this is, this is uh, really um, something that's stable. But I'm also interested in lecturing and teaching in lots of different locations if people want to invite me, and uh, I would I would love to come. Wonderful. Well, I'm so great that grateful that Sylvia connected us and she was 100% right. You were an excellent guest for our podcast and great. I hope our listeners enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed reading your book. So thank you, Alan. My pleasure. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. If you'd like more information about our films or to purchase our DVDs, you can head on over to our website at thepastseries.com. They're also available to purchase on amazon.com. Our films are also streaming online at vimeo.com, guyamtv.com, and iTunes. If you have a show suggestion or would like us to interview someone specifically, please feel free to shoot us an email at info at thepastseries.com or send us a tweet at thepastseries. Please rate and review us in iTunes and subscribe. We hope you enjoyed the show.